Hey coach, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. Let's share the game. Awesome to welcome NBA performance coach and basketball's brain trainer, Brandon Payne, to the Basketball Podcast. As a basketball player development specialist, Brandon Payne is renowned for his self-curated training methods that are responsible for the success of some of the game's most elite players. Most notably, four-time NBA champion, two-time NBA MVP, one-time finals MVP, and nine-time NBA All-Star, Stephen Curry, sits atop the extensive roster of impressive clientele. This is Brandon's second appearance on the Basketball Podcast, as he appeared on episode 203, where he discussed training Steph Curry and more. Brandon has partnered with ImmersionVideos.com to release the Brandon Payne All Access Shooting Clinic. The Brandon Payne Shooting Clinic was a live event. Now it is available for you at BrandonPayneBasketball.com. In this immersive on-court experience, Payne dove into a range of crucial topics, including shooter activations, the fusion of strength and performance, the art of effective workouts, ball handling, player learning behaviors, and much, much more. This clinic provides insights to a diverse audience, welcoming coaches, trainers, parents, and anyone eager to expand their basketball knowledge. Go to BrandonPayneBasketball.com to learn more. Brandon, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for thanks a lot. Well, awesome. We talked to you about a year ago or so, and uh, a lot has changed. And I think one of the things that's changed the most, not just with this BrandonPayneBasketball.com all-access <laughs> shooting clinic, which I think is amazing, but just in general, I think it's been a conscious effort on your part to be able to share more authentically of what you do. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, Stefan and I have always talked about it. You know, one of the things that that drives us is to make sure we leave the game in a better place than we found it. And and I'm kind of getting to the point in my career where where it's time for me to start kind of gearing more towards training t- coaches, training trainers, still working with players some, obviously, but but now it's time for me to to start passing knowledge on to other people so that they can take take what we've developed and hopefully expand on it and make it even better. So it's just it's just kind of that that point in my career where it's time to start doing that. Well, it's awesome for all of us. We're all going to benefit from it. And talk to us. We talked briefly just off air about you know your travel schedule. So talk to yeah. us a little bit about a, a day in the life of Brandon Payne as he kind of travels the world, kind of sharing the game. Well, a day in the life of Brandon Payne at home is get the kids up, get them to school, try to squeeze in my own personal workout at some point, get to the office, handle BrandonPayne.com business, handle Team Curry and Accelerate Basketball business. Since we've got Team Curry on the, the Under Armour circuit and Accelerate Basketball and Under Armour Rise circuit, as well as our middle school teams and deal with some high school basketball stuff as well. And then actually sit down and try to watch some film, watch some Stephen Curry film provide some notes to the other guys that I work with. And then it's time to get the kids to practice and, and get them to practice, get them home, uh, get them settled. Then I typically come back to the office, watch a little more film or watch whatever game I've got guys playing that night and and start to, to make my notes for the film that I got to capture the next day to start the whole thing over again. So it's it's normally pretty full days, including trying to work my kids out. So it's it's a challenge, but you know I wouldn't trade this for anything. You know I've been very fortunate to to have the experiences that I have in the game and to do all the things I've gotten a chance to do with Steph and the other players. And so it's is it a little bit of a grind, sure, but I mean I, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. Yeah, it sounds fun and what a rewarding experience for you on so many levels. And you know w- when you do travel, when you travel to go mm-hmm. visit Steph or one of your other players, take us through that. What what does that process look like? 
Yeah, you know, it's 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 case by case. So even with Stefan, you know, this is year 12 or 13 of me traveling out there to him. I'm going out there on Tuesday, you know, and it, it's it's need based. Right. So, I mean, every every player we go through, you know, through the season you have. Sometimes you get hot, sometimes you get cold, sometimes you have a little micro injury or you have something that, that kind of forces you to change up your, your your process a little bit. So it's really a need-based thing you know if he needs me to come out there and just work on hand stuff where we're working on just little small stuff with ball handling i've done a little bit of that with chris paul as well or, or whether it's coming out there and doing something with a shot or just just talking through some things or just looking at some film it, it, so it, it's it's case by case i mean w- at 35 you know we're not going to do a lot during the season that's going to put any miles on his body so and we're not going to do anything that, that disrupts his normal workflow so we're not going to add a session in where there normally wouldn't be one. That's not necessarily the the best way to go about doing your business. You have to make sure that everything that you do in season is seamless. So we're not adding on to what the team is doing. I think that some young players in the league, as I listen to trainers and I listen to young players in the league talk about their process, sometimes I, I always am like, yeah, you're doing, maybe you're doing a little bit too much. It's just, you know, 82 games plus training camp, plus practice, plus the travel Sometimes less is more. Sometimes, you know, we got to understand that you know, if, if we do want to get extra work in, it's better to go ahead and get that extra work in right after practice, not practice, stop for a few hours, then go back and do it again and restart the whole process. Because when you restart that process, you're interrupting your recovery process. And when you interrupt your recovery process, the cellular level adaptations that we're trying to make within your body don't have a chance to materialize. And we're constantly getting into this cycle of breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down, but we're never building it back up. So, you know, when I go to guys, I I make sure that we're not adding to their plate. I make sure that everything that we do is within the framework of what the team wants to do as well. I think it's extremely important. Anytime a player has somebody like myself, that's a part of their circle that the team is included in that conversation, because ultimately I'm not paying you. I wish I was paying you. I wish I was ownership group somewhere, but I'm not. So I'm not the one writing your checks. So we got to make sure that the guys that are actually paying you are looped into the conversation as well so that they, you know, they have a good idea of what we're trying to do. And they understand that we're trying to make you a better version of yourself for them and for that, for their performances. So I think that there's some young players that really need a little bit of direction with how to handle themselves as professionals in season. And and hopefully, like the young guys at the Warriors have seen how we've handled it. Hopefully, they've been taking notes, and I think some of them have, and, and they'll, they'll understand how to do this as they go further in their career. Well, one of the things I want to connect that you said there, this less is more concept, I want to connect that for younger players, too, because I know we're both in those AAU worlds with our yeah, kids, yeah. with different things. Mm-hmm. And I cannot believe, I mean, just people think that more reps is better, and that's not the case. Not the case at all. So, yeah, I mean, and I battled this some and I still battle this some when you talk about guys getting ready for the draft and guys that are exiting the the amateur basketball level and they're entering the professional basketball level where, you know, really everything you do must provide benefit to your performance on the court. So we can't have wasted workouts. We can't have anything that takes us backwards. We've got to have everything taking us forwards. And I think that this grind culture that's been created around social media, around playing four games a day in AAU, you know, this, this there's very little that's more detrimental to players than this grinding concept of we got to work, we got to work. I'm not saying you don't have to put in a lot of work because you do. You have to put in a lot of work. But the same type of, you know, approach that these players want to take to their daily work on the court 
they've got to take to strength conditioning. They got to take into nutrition. They've got to take into their hydration. They've got to take that same type of work ethic into their sleep. You know, how they sleep and, and are you getting enough? And, you know, one of the things that I, I talk about with, with some players, I've got a young man right now who's, who's going to be an NBA player who's in high school, who's having a hard time gaining weight. And, you know, when you speak of this grind culture, you know, I, I ask him, so well, tell me what your day looks like. Well, you know, I normally I go to school early, so I get shots up. Okay. So you interrupt your sleep cycle early so you can leave and go burn calories and you didn't eat before you got there. Okay. Continue. I go to school. Do, do you eat after you shoot? No, I normally just grab a bar. Okay. So we're in a calorie deficit to start the day, but you want to gain weight. You know, gaining weight is the most important thing that you want to do. Then he talks about, well, then I lift second period. I've got, you know, we've got basketball strength conditioning. And I kept, so do you eat before or after that? Oh, no. You know, I, I normally just, so you're further in a calorie deficit. So when we're not a pro about everything we do, a lot of times we're actually taking ourselves further away from our goals. And so being a pro, understanding quality over quantity, not really adopting this, I got to grind, I got to grind, I got to grind mindset. I think players would see a lot of benefit because, you know, we, we have players that, that can't gain weight. We have players that have overuse injuries that are really affecting their skill development, affecting their, their athletic performance. You know, one of the things that I talk about, too, is the, the best way to become a better basketball player is you got to be bigger, faster and stronger. In order to execute those skills that you're working on against air every day, you have to have the physical strength and the ability to process information to actually execute those in the games. So if you can be the most skilled person in the world, but if you don't have the, the, the strength and the power and the, the mental processing speed to execute, it doesn't matter. And if you're not working on those things intelligently and you're working just grinding and grinding and grinding, those other elements that are absolutely necessary are never developed. So quality over quantity is, is a huge thing for me. I love that phrasing. If not a pro, you're taking yourself farther away from your goals. And that applies again to all levels of players about how all they levels. approach things. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I know that I, I, a lot of times I speak, uh, you know, uh, like everybody's a pro, but that, that's the the world that I'm very fortunate to be a part of. But even young players that are trying to go from, you know, elementary school to make their middle school team and making their middle school team to make a JV or make a varsity, you have to have a process of of getting better that's beneficial on a daily basis. And a lot of times, if you're just working, 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 working hour after hour, number one, you're not going game speed. Number two, you're probably not working with great mechanical efficiency. And number three, you're probably creating more bad habits than good because the fatigue work starts to overcome your mechanics. You know, you're, you're taking yourself further away from where you want to be instead of taking yourself closer to where you want to be. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Brandon Payne shooting clinic videos and then all the stuff that you've shared in our previous podcast. I know that connecting science in practical ways for people is a big part of what you do. Talk to us first about overcoming some of these traditional and cultural norms in basketball coaching that really, really do slow people's development in so many ways because they adhere to this old view without knowing yeah. that the world and the knowledge that we have has been updated over mm -hmm. the last 30 years, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's very important that we as coaches and trainers and people that are trying to help players that, that we don't live in our opinions. We don't, we don't, you know, we all have opinions of what we think works, but the reality is the information is out there for all of us to learn and to actually have, and you all have to be overly scientific. I think that there's, there's a happy, there's a marriage there somewhere that is, that is very happily in the middle of 
work, 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 work in science. I mean, th there's a way to blend it. And I think Stephen Curry is a really good example of somebody that has done that, has achieved that. Um, you know, in, in workouts, I want people to understand that I'm not always talking about science. They don't have to know what I know to do their job, right? So I have to filter these things out. I have to make sure that I'm taking the science and, and the knowledge that I have into account when I'm doing all of our planning and when I'm thinking, you know, from drill to drill, the sequential nature of how I work. But the players don't necessarily need to know. It. Now, some of them will ask really good questions as like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And then you have to step into the role of a teacher and be a very good teacher and make sure you're educating them because the more educated they're, they're willing to be on their process, the more detailed they're going to be in their work. And the more detailed they're in their work, the faster we're going to get better. Um, but just using, you know, science, not only science within the body, but this, you know, the, the technology that we have, the tracking technology that we have available to us to help us make sure that we're on a positive trajectory. I mean, I, I always tell people it's not, you know, getting better specifically as a shooter is not a linear path. But as long as we're we're doing this, you know, you might take a step down, but as long as you're moving in a general upward direction and understanding you're going to have bumps along the way, you're moving in the right direction. And so process over results when you're going through your work and just understanding that, you know, your opinion is pretty much worthless. It's all, it really is science-based. I think that a lot of, of young coaches are coming around to that more, more, but a lot of guys that may be a little more seasoned or might be a little bit more resistant to that to that notion, but it, it, it's reality. It's just it's the way we need to approach it because it's what's best for our players. And you know, we we are in a, a business and in, in an industry uh, of servant leadership. You know, we're here to lead them, but we, you know, the best way we lead them is to serve their best interests and and understand that we we're responsible for their development. And how we approach it has a big impact on how much better they get. Should drive you to really want to educate yourself on on the best way to do this. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we don't live in our opinions definitely resonates with me in that way. And that e even for us that have studied a lot of this stuff, I mean, I feel humbled every day by certain things that I try or I approach it in a certain way, and it doesn't work for the same player. And it speaks to the biological individuality of different players. And there isn't just this one perfect approach for every player. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, you know, I, it's so funny we're talking about this today. W one of the things I've been working on lately, I've had this written philosophy that I developed in 2011 and 2012, and, and now it's really time for me to update it. And I went back and I was reading all the things that, that, I, that I, I really firmly believed in 2011 and 2012. And I sat there yesterday, I'm like, Man, I was an idiot. I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I was, you know, I was on the right path, but man, I, you know, I really, you know, I think getting older, you know, it, it's okay to question yourself. It's okay to question what you've been doing because that's the only way you can really get better. You know, I tell players all the time that the, the, the reality of it is the players that get better are those that they can look in the mirror and admit to themselves. I don't do this well. I don't do this well and I need to work on it. The players that have a hard time getting better, the ones that never look in the mirror and they always want to deflect and they always want to act like their deficiencies don't exist. So I think that, you know, as coaches, we, we have to kind of go through the same exercise of looking back at what we've run and what we've taught and, and what we've done over the years and say, it's OK to question yourself a little bit. It's OK to admit at one point that you're not you weren't as smart as you are now and, and, and there might be a better way to go about doing things. So you're not questioning yourself in a condescending manner. You're not questioning yourself in a in a manner that, that puts your intelligence intelligence down, but it's just, it's the right thing to do in order to get better. We have to examine what we do as well and look back and say, hey, you know, there's more 
information available to us now because there is there's more technology available to us now that makes these things a little bit easier to to take inventory of and you know i need to rewrite some of this and that's what i'm doing right now <laughs> well that's fun for all of us as you keep kind of reimagining or rethinking different things and just asking the question is there a better way and that's a part of it so uh, I want to talk about kind of the two different areas. And, and again, we're we're talking about professionals, NBA players, but we're also talking about development and youth players. But let's start kind of on the the level of player that you're dealing with a high level player. How do you approach making adjustments to a player when they are already playing at a high level? Well, most of the time, and, and it's, I have this conversation with young guys, you know, I have to remind them, especially guys that that are in the first two or three years of their career, and they come to me and they say, well, I think I need to change this about my shot or change that about my shot. And I have to always start by reminding them, yeah, we could probably make some adjustments to how you're doing some things, but you have to remember how you shot the basketball made you a lottery pick three years ago. Okay. And, that, and so to com- to sit here and say we have to completely abandon what got you to the NBA is false. I said, now, are there things that we need to do a little bit better? Are there things that we need to refine? Absolutely. But I never use the word change. I never use the word, oh, we got to change this. We got to change that. Because that means that you're just not doing that well or it's just terrible. Most of the adjustments that I make with players, the, the, the adjustments kind of happen themselves once I really start teaching the player about the chain of power from their ground up and understanding how we need to have balanced power from one leg or the other, or as close to possible, be as balanced as we can. A lot of players don't understand how much they really rely on one leg or the other and how much that affects their body up the chain and how much that affects the flight of the ball. So before we even start talking about their hands or about how they catch it, about how they pick it up, we talk about their base and we talk about okay, are we creating power as equally as possible? And it's never going to be exactly equal. We have to understand that as coaches. It's never going to be perfect. I wish it was, but it's not. Because we've got players that might have had, you know, chronic ankle injuries. I've got Stefan. Stefan had chronic ankle injuries. So I I have to understand that it's never going to be perfect on this one side. We have to do some things up to chain to compensate for that. And we have. Um, You know, with some of these younger guys, it's the same thing as understanding their base. It's understanding the role their core plays and making sure the power comes from the ground to their hand and understanding you can't be loose and floppy through your core and be a good shooter. A lot of guys get so caught up in making the move or they get so caught up in creating space that they kind of I say they let go of the rope when they go into their shot, like their body just relaxes when they go up to shoot because they were so focused on getting away from the defender that they kind of for a second and they lose all that power they just generated so i always tell them you can't let go of the rope after you make the move you got to finish your shot your shot's not finished until the ball goes through the net so everything matters all the way from how we pick it up to how we leave the ground how we release it and certainly how we land all that stuff matters because those are those are indicators for how precise our process is so you know i don't like to use the word change and i don't really like to go in and say we got to change your mechanics this that or the other i really look at how they move and how can how can we make you a better mover how can we make you a more intentional mover you got to move with great intent to be a good shooter sometimes we watch game film and you know i'm a big proponent of every step you take leading into that catch determines whether or not you're going to make or miss that shot if you're not moving with great intent to that pass and you're loose and floppy through your movements it's going to be hard to really flip a switch as soon as you catch it and get really tight and really get into your body and shoot that ball tight so every step we take has to be taken with the intention of I'm going to make this shot. 
how we run down the floor. We, again, if we're if we're not running with great purpose, if we're not running with mechanical intent, we're going to have a hard time catching it and being mechanically disciplined when we do catch it. So understanding that everything plays in a role plays a role in whether we make or miss a shot, not just after you catch it. So you've got to really prepare your body to shoot the basketball. So those are the adjustments that I look to make first. It's our approach, not necessarily what we do after we have the ball on our hands. It's what we do before we have the ball and certainly what we do before we release the ball or even lift the ball that really matters to me. Well, I'm grateful you shared that because, again, I think the philosophy of how you approach things is more important than the actual minute details of everything that you do. Because I'll give you a quick thing here is the best training coaching is sometimes just supporting something that works for a player within their body and not changing it to make it look like what society perceives it should look like. And I look mm -hmm. at a guy like Halliburton, for example, he should go back and thank all of his coaches for not changing something for not changing them for him for not changing and you know i was you know growing up i, I watched a lot, i love baseball watching baseball growing up and i i remember thinking like all these guys that are great hitters every single one of them looks different all these guys that are great pitchers every single one of them has a different release point they all have different mechanics they all you know they have foundational skills that are necessary to but they all have little quirks they all have little things and the reason that is is because we all all of our bodies are different you know, we all have different limitations. We all have different things that we have to work around or work through. So understanding that every player, is, and I've always said this, that every player's shooting mechanics are as individual as their fingerprint, it's because we all have different limitations that we're working with. We all have, we have our own individual anatomy. So to think that everybody's going to look the exact same is, is, is not realistic. It's not going to happen. So obviously you or any other coach, you're not with your players all the time. We're not with them 24-7. So talk to us a little bit about what Brandon Payne values in terms of helping players to do things on their own. Yeah, so helping players to do, I'm big on, like, again, process and approach. And, you know, I, we have players within our programs that go and they have other trainers and, th and and that's great. I mean, I think that they, I think that it's good sometimes to get get, get something a little different than, you know, I, I, what I always encourage our players to do is, is make sure they have great purpose and intent with everything they do. Make sure they understand the process of what they're doing thoroughly while they're doing it. Don't just be a surface level player. I never want players to just be surface level. I want you to understand what's going on inside your body when you're making the move. I want you to understand uh, from a kinetic chain standpoint what, you, what muscles you're using to create the space or make the move that you're working. I want you to be able to make those connections, that mind-body connection while you're going through the skill work, whether it's with our people here or with somebody else, you know, I want you to make sure that you're being really intentional about your process. I want to make sure that you're spending some time, some mental time every day on your, you know, on our terms, on our concepts, on our, on, on the things we like to execute, our, our, our offensive flow rules and, and things like that, making sure that it matters enough to you to, to spend a little bit of time looking over things each day. I'm not somebody that says that they have to study this play, but you got to study this, study this, study this for hours at a time. Most of the time, they spend five or 10 minutes just kind of flipping through their phone and looking through either some fast draw diagrams or some Lucio or whatever they got. I mean, that's that's really the, the that's that's all the time they've got in their brains. You know, they, they move on so fast. But, you know, just being an intentional worker, being a process driven player, process over results while you're getting better and spending some time, some mental reps on terminology and concepts. I think those are the things that are important to me when you're not with us. Coaches, a brief interruption from the podcast to talk about Hoopsalytics. 
With basketball season approaching quickly, do you have an affordable, powerful stats and analytics system in place yet? Rather than overspending on the same old antiquated stat system, you can get cutting edge video link stats and deep analytics at around half the price you're paying now. Hoopsalytics analysts will break down games for you so you can instantly measure the effectiveness of your players, lineups, and player combinations. And you can add tracking for your unique plays, sets, and actions to see what's working and what needs to be improved. You can even measure shot quality and things like contested and uncontested shots to improve your offensive points per possession. Features like interactive shot charts, game timeline visualizations, assist maps, and more makes Hoopsalytics an invaluable resource for coaches of all levels. Discover how Hoopsalytics can help you save money and make better data-driven coaching decisions. Visit hoopsalytics.com ball today to learn more and start analyzing your games for free. That's H-O-O-P-S-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com slash ball. Yeah, process versus results. That's Sean through throughout the clinic that you shared with us. And uh, the other thing that was fascinating was the Q&A session. And, and again, we couldn't mm-hmm. have planned that it was going to be that good. <laughs> but the questions were really good. And one thing that struck me is kind of this concept of what are some of the biggest myths that we still adhere yeah. to when it comes to teaching shooting? Biggest myths. I mean, you know, you got to have your elbow here. You got to, you know, it, you know, you got to catch the elbow is I mean, a huge one, isn't it? <laughs> you know, so there, there's that and all oh, your, your feet, you got to have 10 toes to the rim and you got, you know, and again, it's not wrong to think it's not wrong, but, but there there's varying degrees of correct. Right. I mean, so to, to, there's no black and white with shooting. It, it, it really is. I mean, it's, it's so individual and, and understanding, you know, like people always like to talk about Steph and well, his feet are, you know, they're off to the left. I said, yeah, he can get away with that simply because he's so strong through his core and he has tremendous thoracic mobility and thoracic control. So while his feet and his hips might get slightly turned to the left, he has such great trunk control that he always gets his chest back to the rim. And when he gets his chest to the rim, if he can get his stomach to the rim, the ball's probably going in. And, and so, you know, I don't get overly concerned about that. I mean, you know, he does have one little thing. If we're curling from one side or the other, he does have a tendency to, to over-rotate a little bit. But, you know, that's on us to make sure we're working on his internal, external hip, hip rotation control. And those are things that we have to, we have to be aware of in the offseason to make sure we're preparing him to not do that. But it is, I mean, you know, just saying beef, you know, balance, eyes, elbow, you know, all this. I mean, yes, I really do. I mean, I do like to have my players follow through a little bit higher. And you know, I do like them to be elbow over nose if possible. And, you know, but the thing is, you got to be careful to make sure that they're not covering up their eyes. So their hands not so high. And, you know, th- there's a lot of varying degrees of, of correctness to this stuff. So I do caution coaches and I do caution trainers to not, you know, want to be the, doctor fix it when it comes to every little mechanical thing going on with the player. And then also understand if you do have a player that has multiple things going on with their shot, you got to approach it one at a time. If you're trying to change this and change that and all at one time, they're not going to have success. Our job is to instill comfort and confidence and, and confidence comes from comfort. So if we're asking players to mechanically make adjustments to things that they're physically not comfortable with, they're never going to be confident. So we've got to make sure we we help players find their comfort zone with their own individual mechanics and then make the in the make the refinements we need to make to help them be more efficient and more and create repeatable mechanics. More importantly than having 
100% correct mechanics is simply having repeatable mechanics. Does it look the same every shot? If you've got somebody that's got something that might not look right, but it's the same every single time, they have great mechanical recall. And, and so, you know, the bigger concern is when you've got a player that sometimes looks perfect, sometimes looks metal. That's where you have an issue because you don't have very good mechanical recall and you need to really, you know, approach it in a learning pattern. You have to approach them differently because their learning patterns are different. You're just trying to create mechanical, you know, recall and having the player that can that can recall the same mechanics over and over again is going to create a consistent shooter. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to create consistent shooters. You hope that they're going to be really good, but more importantly, you need them to be consistent. You need to know what you're going to get out of them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, this has probably been the biggest change in shooting. And Steph's been the driver of this is shooting off the dribble. So talk to us a little bit about this. How common or uncommon is it for players to be substantially better or worse off the dribble shooters versus off the catch? Well, the gap is closing. I'll say that the gap is closing and it's closing for a couple of reasons. Number one, we've got better ways to work on it. I think, again, I think we have more intentional ways to, to make it better off the dribble. And number two, I think coaches are more accepting of the shots now. And so it's kind of like, well, everybody's like, wow, we're, all these guys really shoot three pointers really well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause for the last 20 years, we've really wanted to shoot a lot of them. So players grew up shooting them. It used to be all oh, we don't, you know, they're 12 years old. We don't want them to shoot threes. And now, you know, I go to every eight, nine-year-old game out there and they're all launching NBA threes. And, and some of them don't look that bad doing it. So it's just, it's more accepted. We have better ways to work on it. Now I'll say this. If you, if you can't catch it and shoot it with great mechanics, you're going to have a really hard time or repeatable mechanics. You're going to have a really hard time shooting it off the dribble with repeatable mechanics. So there is an order to this that we kind of have to follow. And we, we do kind of have to, crawl, walk, run with this. I mean, I, you can't go from, you know, just learning how to really catch it and shoot it to all of a sudden going through combinations and stepping back and, and shooting it. So as long as, as coaches have a, a systematic, organized and progressive method that they're taking players from catch and shoot to what we we still do with Stefan every single day, we call it pickup shots where we're literally just pounding the basketball, picking it up, making sure the way we pick it up is how we want to pick it up making sure we're not right hand reaching when we got the, the ball with our left hand, making sure we're meeting in the middle, just all those little things that we, that are kind of micro skills that can kind of go away on you. If you don't pay attention to them, those are the things that are really important to do first. And then, you know, we, we start to make the moves in a stationary manner before we start to add any sort of lateral or, or backwards movement to it. You know, I think that shooting off the dribble for a lot of players where coaches Sometimes we'll, we'll hit some frustration points, specifically when players are going to the basket. So driving downhill and trying to pull up and shoot a shot. A lot of times players don't have great uh, trunk control. They don't have great core control and they end up long on those shots because they end up letting the momentum of their movement go into the shots. So understanding that you've got to teach some backward movement and teach them how to get to that backward movement and that lateral movement is very important because um, if we're teaching so much to the basket, to the basket, to the basket, they'll never develop those other skills. Well, I agree. The gap is definitely closing. And the, the part that you made about ball pickup is so important because that's another thing that I share with so many coaches and so many parents and is like this ball handling doesn't have to be separated from shooting. And that's oh, the no. beautiful thing, no, no. isn't it? That this yeah. ball handling can be connected to shooting. I think that everybody thinks that we spend a ton of time on ball handling drills. We really don't. We spend, we have, you know, we have a ball handling activation period that we go through as part of our neurocognitive activation that start of workouts that lasts 
three, four, maybe five minutes at the most where we go through a progressive overload. We, about every 15 to 20 minutes in the workouts, we'll do something for 60 to 90 seconds. Again, that's overloading just to make sure we don't lose the, the, the brain, the excited state of the brain is in. Uh, but the rest of our ball handling is inside of our shooting drills. Everything we do is, is you know, every shot we take, we've got, you know, especially off the move, we, we've got a ball handling benefit there as well. We've got a ball handling benefit. We've got a body control benefit. We've got a, we have a footwork benefit. We've got trunk control, vertical core stability. Everything that he has to deal with in games, we're we're putting into his shooting workouts, including heart rate matching. So, you know, all that stuff, you know, you can have a really, really compact 45 to 50 minute workout and get absolutely everything you got to get in. You know, with Steph, we have a, you know, we we definitely have a pitch count in terms of how much time we really want him to be out there in the offseason. We don't want to play one of his 82 games in the offseason, right? So we want to make sure he's got 82 games in when he gets to the season. So we we have to make sure that we're as efficient as we can be and we're not separating all these things out that make the workout longer. We got to make sure everything's is 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 worked together so that we keep it short and compact and really high quality. Well, and it all has to work together in the game anyway. So I love that. And I love those examples that you gave us. And uh, think, thinking a little bit, like you can use these players as a metaphor without talking about them even specifically. But say you talk about a Trey Young versus a Steph Curry that you've worked with. Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. about how specific do you get in terms of their specific team style? Because both play in different team styles as well. Yeah, so the, the way I approach my role and the, the way I approach what I do for them in the offseason is I have to make them the best version of themselves so that they can operate in any system. I can't get I, – I choose to not get team-specific, number one, because I'm not in the building every day. And if I'm not in your building every day, I can't with a high level of certainty – teach the way they want it to teach it. They're the ones paying you. I'm not. I'm the one that's helping you be the best version of yourself to do what you need to do for them. Second reason I don't is I can spend an entire offseason working on one set of things. Coach staff gets fired, got to spend the entire offseason doing another set of things. You know, so to me, or player gets traded, player gets moved, free agency happens. I don't get all, you know, yes, we take into account the shots that they're taking in games because we do want to make sure that we're making every workout relevant to them. But when it comes to ball screen reads, when it comes to passes, cuts, things like that, we stay pretty general and we tend to focus more on, okay, how can we make you more efficient as a mover, make you a more skilled player so that when it comes to all these things they're asking you to do, you can do them better. How can we help you process information better so that you can think clearly, you can make the reads they want you to make? Because not only does it get really difficult to, to really dial down specifically on what the team wants, every game's a different situation. Every every personnel, every in defensive personnel group you see, even you know quarter to quarter, the decisions they want you to make are different based off the defensive personnel that the team has on the floor. You know, you could have one set of reads against one set of type of ball screen coverage. They make a sub and they bring in a big that all of a sudden has got to play a drop coverage. And now the reads are completely different. You know, so it's 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 for me, it's more about making them better movers, making them more efficient with their skill, making them better thinkers and making them better processors so that they can execute what the what the teams are asking them to do. You know, occasionally just because Stefan and I have had have been together so long and, and I know the guys with the Warriors really well. I'll get a little bit more specific with him because we he's not going anywhere. So I think I think we're pretty safe to do that. But for everybody else, we try to stay a little bit more general. 
Well, it shone through in the drills that you shared in the all access shooting clinic is just that these things are adaptable. And that seems to be the focus. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to develop adaptable players. So literally they could play in any system. And I think that's Correct. what we know about Steph. He could play in any system. This system just happens to be the best for him and his teammates to help him. And obviously the success speaks for itself. But talk to us about that ability to be adaptable. Yeah, adaptable and, and understanding that we have a base. So I operate off of a base Russian model. So we have a base set of drills that kind of tell me, okay, is this player ready to move to a more advanced version of this particular drill? Or do I have to take a regressed version of this drill, get them back to the base, and then start to advance them? You know, with our young players, everybody wants to do all the shooting games and drills that Stefan does. And we have to be really careful with that because players that are results-based will get really, really frustrated when they're not winning the drills, when they're not winning the games. So in order to make it more really emphasize the process with a lot of the young players, I always start with the regressed version of Stefan's base drills to see how, how they react to losing those uh, before we start to before we start to to really advance them. Because the, the reality is this with young players, if you're you know, if you're the type of player that's going to kick a ball around the, the gym or throw the ball, cuss and scream and yelling, you know, because you missed a couple of shots, number one, the misses are what give us the information we need to get better. And if you get so pissed off that the misses that you're missing what the ball, the flight of the ball is telling you, you're going to have a hard time making the adjustment to the next shot. So in order to keep them really process oriented, I try to keep them in the regress drills very often. Now, we occasionally do have a very special shooter. I'll tell you the young man that, that really impressed me so much this summer, Brandon Prozemski, the, the young man with the Warriors, the last few weeks of the offseason spent a lot of time around Stefan and I, and he was so competitive and, but he was competitive in the right way. So he would lose a drill and then he would go right back to the start. You didn't hear a word out of him. You could tell he was really focused and trying to, to get better. Then we, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, we had some other younger guys that would lose a drill and just want to walk out of the gym, you know? So it, it's, it's, it's making sure that, that, that you're adapting what you do not only your players' ability level, but but they're also their personalities and and who they are as a competitor. Because you can get lost in the drills and in the games, and you lose the overall goal of the of the day because you get stuck in these drills, and these and these kids get stuck worried about losing a drill instead of understanding. Okay, this is just part of my process. I, I gotta I gotta have a different approach. So so making sure that you're adapting. From a skill standpoint, you're adapting from an ability standpoint, you're adapting from a personality standpoint, everything you do to make it the best it can be for that individual player. Because, again, it's, it's, it's not my, you know, it's, it's my work, it's my structure, but it's their workout. And so I got to make sure it, it fits them best. And development doesn't have to be void of competition, does it? It, it requires competition. If, if you if you're not competing every single day and in, in, in the majority of what you do. It's hard to make it translate. It's hard to it's hard to replicate the nervous system in in competitive situations when you're in non-competitive situations all the time. Like it's it's hard to do that. So you've got to have something you're working against. We work against time and score a lot. There's got to be a consequence. It doesn't have to be something ridiculous, but I mean, just a you know, with Stefan, it's as simple as a down and back. You know, I mean, it's it's just a hey, you know, we lost out. Let's hit a down and back and start again. It doesn't have to be something that's overly punitive or something that 
causes even more uh, fatigue, which which would be detrimental to the workout. But but there's got to be something there, right? You got to be playing for something to to cre- to recreate just the thoughts of of competition within the body and, and how everybody's body reacts to competition, you know. And we've got some players that can handle having dummy defense contest shots. We have some players that can't. And, and you know, our goal is to work to where we we can get them to that point. So, you know, it, it's there are no two workouts alike. I mean, everybody likes to work out with Steph. Like, Trey likes to work out with Steph, but to be honest, I like to get Trey by himself too, because then I can really work on what Trey needs. You know, when we get Trey and Steph together, it's all competition and they love it. They they have such a good time and, and it's, it's, it's fun to watch. And, you know, you can get caught up watching it a little bit and you kind of turn into a fan for a few minutes because it is so impressive, but, but, but really, you know, what I do a lot of times too, when I have those guys or any, any two guys, I'll go two wins. So we'll be working on the same concept, but I don't want Trey to get caught up trying to be Stephen Curry. I want Trey young to be Trey young. So when I give them kind of the, the, what we're working on or the specific combinations or how we're spacing, I want Trey young to space like Trey young spaces. I don't want Trey to space like Stephen Curry because it's completely different. Trey is a master at what he does. Again, Stefan's a master at what he does. They do look similar, but how they get to those points are very different. Trey has a great change of pace. Trey has the ability to control defenders differently than Stefan does. Stefan just kind of glides where Trey's really more of an angled step back. So I want to make sure that they're working on the things that make them great, not trying to be something that they're not. We'd both be fans. Uh, we'd all be fans watching those two shoot together. That would be amazing. So, it's Coach. Fun. What do you feel is the hardest skill? And let's maybe focus on, say, high school players or moving into high school type players. What's What do you feel is the hardest skill for players to develop as they move up in levels? The hardest skill? The one thing that I, I don't know if this is a skill or not, not standing after they pass the basketball. Not, not, not you know, understanding that, you know, and, and, we, and it's up to us to create drills where we, we're recreating this, this relocation idea as teams move more to this flowing type of offense where we don't even really like to screen away anymore. It's more about basket cuts and flares and dives. As we move more towards that type of setup and everybody's kind of adopting that, just understanding that we've got to create drills where players give it up and relocate immediately to reinforce that. Because as we move further in this game, players continue to get bigger. The court stays the same size. So movement and intentional movement, moving to be a threat at all times is something that has begun to become more and more and more valuable. And, and although that's not necessarily like a ball skill or anything like that, to me, that is a necessary skill to being on the floor. If you're somebody that is a ball stopper or if you're somebody that is a stander, it's going to be hard to play basketball as you move up the chain. So just helping them to create the mindset and the skill of giving it up and moving with great intention to another spot immediately, I think is something that that players really struggle with. And and I think players really struggle to understand the why of that. As I, as I watch, I mean, I I just started watching a lot more high school basketball here as we've taken over the program and, and we're, we're starting to go out and recruit. I see just a lot of players that, that they're just kind of drifting out there and and you can't play basketball that way. Like, you know, you're not going to move up the ranks just being a drifter. You got to be somebody that moves with great intent all the times, especially if you're not the super elite level talented guy. You got to be a super high IQ guy. And so teaching players to move and relocate with purpose when they don't have the basketball or when they give the basketball up immediately, to me, is, is a necessary skill that we just don't work on enough. 
Well, and to clarify, coach, that is absolutely a skill to seek and find <laughs> space and hold space. I mean, those are absolutely skills. And I've used this analogy with so many players to get them to understand, like, look, biomechanically, we might be able to improve you one, two, three percent. But decision making, we can improve you a lot. And I could always use mm -hmm. Steph as an example of that. Because it's like, okay, at, at some point, it's only going to be marginally better biomechanically. But what he's gotten a lead at progressively is obviously the decision making, which helps Absolutely. separate him. And that's the skill, isn't it? Absolutely. So just a lot of the things, again, that are not necessarily surface level. Like to me, surface level is shooting, surface level is ball handling, going to the basket, finishing. That's all surface level stuff. The things that that happen within our body, the decisions we make to me, are the things that, that really become separators. So in terms of helping players understand uh, that they are improving, that they are developing, that what you're doing in your workouts and your training is helping you play better in the game. Talk to us about some of those metrics or some of the things that you help connect for them in terms of understanding their development. Yeah, I think it, it's different at different levels, right? I think that you see in the younger players, I think that you see their movement starts to change. I don't mean it gets faster or more explosive. I just mean you can tell who's moving confidently on the floor and who is not. You can tell who's moving to be a threat. You can tell who's hiding from the ball. So noticing a difference in body language and posture and how they're moving, noticing a difference in you know, that first. Then the next thing we notice is when they're comfortable handling the ball, a lot of players come back and they say, wow, I really, I'm seeing things that I haven't seen in the past or, or things seems like everybody's moving slower and I'm moving faster. So those are the things that really help players become uh, more comfortable. And when you see that, when you see that comf comfort start to happen, you, you know, the confidence is going to come behind it. Then we start to say, okay, we're taking more shots. Okay, now we're making more shots. Now we get into the line. Are we making our free, you know, those are, it's kind of a progressive of being more confident and moving with, with, with more purpose on the floor to having the ball in your hands, game slowing down, taking more shots, making more shots. Now are we scoring in multiple ways? So that before we even get to the, are you shooting it better in the games and the, the percentages and the thing, it's, it's how do you feel out there? What does it look like to you? What are you feeling? Are you able to convey what you're feeling and, do you just look more comfortable on the floor? And then once we get to that point to where you're comfortable, you're taking more shots, you're taking more chances, you're being more aggressive, then we can start to become a little bit more analytical about, about your improvement patterns. But for most players, it starts there. It starts with knowing what you're doing and being confident that you know what you're doing on the floor and showing it through your movement. I got to ask, because I know you're in this world, I'm being exposed to AU at that elite <laughs> level for the first time. And I mean, certainly I have my opinions and I have my views and I have my things, but mm -hmm. I'm just curious from your perspective, again, having all these different experiences that you've had in your mm -hmm. coaching and you said taking over more of this load, what are some things that stand out to you about areas that we can improve as a whole for the experience of players? We got to be better coaches. We have to coach basketball. I think that, you know, when I watch these super, super talented teams that are at, you know, Really up until they're about in the eighth grade. So really from like the fifth grade to the eighth grade, you you see the super talented teams. You can name all you, you can pretty much. tell. I can tell you what they're going to diamond, diamond in one press or one, two, one, one press half court, one, two, two. It's trapping, running, jumping, trapping everywhere. OK, and that works for them because it creates just this up and down. This this the bigger, faster, stronger is going to win in that that scenario all the time because they're running, jumping, trapping. They're more they're faster, they're longer, they're going to steal passes, they're going to score in transition. But that's not basketball. 
And so we're doing our players a disservice when we're constantly leaning on these concepts that don't translate up. As soon as you get really to the eighth grade, there are ball handlers and guards in the eighth grade now that are doing things that guys in college couldn't do 25 years ago. They, they, they handle the ball differently. Uh, they see the floor differently. They can deliver the ball, the length of the floor now. So all that stuff starts to go away. And then when you got to really sit down and play half court basketball, you got to sit down and really defend somebody. You'll notice that in the ninth and 10th grade, a lot of these kids really don't have a firm grasp on, on how to defend in the half court. They don't understand the concept that man to man is actually a team defense, not an individual defense. They don't understand help rotations. They don't understand help the helper. They don't understand how you X out on the backside. They don't understand ice and the ball screen on the side. They don't understand knifing or going under screen, a middle ball screen, all these things that you're trying to teach them now and you're trying to cram it all in that they should have been learning all the way up. That's where I have a problem with a lot of what we do. And then overly simplistic offense, like just constant ball screens. I mean, yeah, that's cool. That's great. But the reality is there's no secondary action on the backside, on the weak side of your offense. There's no... You know, there's no paint to great concepts where you're trying to get to the paint and create a great shot either in the paint or a kick out for a three. It all devolves into this one on one stuff. And that's not real basketball. And so as you'll notice, you know, the gap really starts to close when they get to high school because the high IQ players that weren't as big and strong and as fast when they were in fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth grade all of a sudden start to close the physical gap. Then they've got the IQ and the skill level to to overcome that physical separation they used to suffer from when they were younger. And now the players that are physically really are struggling from an IQ standpoint, struggling from an executional standpoint. And it becomes this kind of frustrating cycle because a lot of high school coaches are trying to run things with them and they can't because they don't understand concepts. They don't have the they don't have the base, the terminology base to operate from. They don't have the concept base to operate from and, and you're basically teaching a lot of things in high school you should have been teaching in the fifth and sixth grade I, i'm nodding my head the whole time i could keep going i mean there's a lot no, no, more but I coach, keep going. <laughs> coach i'll tell you like if certain players don't steal the ball they don't know what to do on yeah, offense they, for example and that yeah, that's, it, you know their their success is totally tied to stealing the ball which works yeah, as completely. you know at the lower levels and doesn't translate at the higher level as soon as you run into a, a couple of guards that are well-coached, that understand how, how ball movement beats ball pressure and understands how to get the ball in the middle third of the floor and attack, and they understand that if you beat the initial wave of the press, it's going to be a two-on-one on the other end every time you're going to get a layup or an open three, you're in trouble. You know, And most of the time, the teams that really, really run and jump and press and trap like that, they don't have an answer when a team forces them to play half-court basketball and they really struggle. So... I think that that having and and one of the other things you know I see you know games are blowouts and you got teams that are still pressing and still trapping you know but my thing is and and I've had my son's teams and and we've been very fortunate to be really talented and we've been on the 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 better end of some of those blowouts I always use those games number one to make sure that the other team leaves with some dignity you're not trying to really you know you're not trying to prove a point you know, I use those games to practice concepts like, OK, this time, this this set of possessions, we're going to play straight up, man. The next set of possessions, you know, all right, maybe we're, if they throw it in the post, maybe we're going to double from the weak side. We're going to work on different concepts. We're going to work on things that will help us down the road. Offensively, you know, once we get to these games that are 30, 40 point games, I tell my kids, OK, we're not going to score in transition anymore. We got to go down. And we're going to work on our concepts. You know, we're going to work on, you know, I'll call a specific set like one of our ATO sets where I'm like, 
I only want the second option. If the first option is there, don't take it. I want the second option. So I'll give them an order to try to go through so that we're we're actually kind of working on things that we're going to need later. So just I, I tell our kids all the time, don't play the scoreboard. You got to play every possession to get better. If we're out here, there's time on the clock. There's the opportunity for us to get better in what we do. There's an opportunity for you to get better individually, being more disciplined with what you're doing. So don't play the scoreboard. Don't let the scoreboard dictate your level of uh, detail and how you're approaching the last 10 minutes of this game. Make sure we're getting something out of it. So I think that coaches should really, you know, players really benefit if everybody took that approach to it. As always, so much knowledge shared. We cannot thank you enough. And uh, coach, you got to be proud of these videos. I'm so grateful that you're sharing them with all of us because coaches are just going to get so much value. Parents are going to get so much value. Players are going to get so much value from watching some of the things that you do. And not just that, as you said already, the process behind everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm extremely proud. Number one, you know, to be fortunate enough to, to have the experiences that I've had in this game. I mean, this game has taken me places and allowed me to, to work and meet uh, work with people and meet people that yeah, I never would have imagined uh, prior to, to to getting into the, the pro basketball space. But, you know, having the ability to share these things and teach these things to to coaches and to younger people that want to be coaches and trainers is like it, it's it's what I enjoy now. It, it's really, um you know, once you've had a primary client that's won a couple of MVPs and four world championships and set a lot of records, it, it's kind of there's not really much further to go than that i mean you kind of you know, very luckily kind of been around a guy that reached the pinnacle so now it's really more about giving back and making sure that you know i'm enjoying what i'm doing and, and teaching and, and helping other people understand how to help players be better is what i really enjoy doing so having the ability to do a clinic having the ability to do these videos is really special for me and really rewarding so i'm glad i got the chance to do it well, we're grateful for you sharing the game with us on the podcast again, and uh, we're grateful for these videos as well. BrandonPainBasketball.com. And uh, Coach, we wish you all the best for the rest of uh, your time sharing the game. All right, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.